You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Okay, welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. I'm Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with David Ramil and from the Washington Post, it's Ben Golliver, who has some updates regarding Team USA, and we'll talk to him about that later on. But I want to start with the NBA schedule, which the league released on Monday and tends to have a whole lot of basketball games on it featuring either two NBA teams or one NBA team in the Charlotte Hornets. But Ben, what's the first thing you're looking at when the schedule is released? Oh, I love it when you prepare material, Wes. That was brilliant. I, I think usually we look at like the big showcase games, right? Opening week, Christmas Day. But to me, the, the headline takeaway from the NBA schedule release was that Adam Silver is putting all of NBA fans on load management. It's such a long time coming, but they're really cutting down significantly on these super late 10.30 p.m. Eastern starts. And, you know, you know me, Western Conference elitist. You know, I always think the best basketball is played out here on the West Coast. I think it finally became this problem for the NBA where they're looking at it and saying, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Anthony Davis, Paul George, uh, Kawhi Leonard, they're all in the Pacific time zone for a bunch of the fans back east who are trying to watch those guys, whether it's on a, a TNT game or an ESPN game uh, in the second half of those double headers. It's just too late for people to stay up. If you look at last year's TV ratings, they were you know basically flat on ESPN and ABC. They were down pretty significantly on TNT. So I think this shift towards cutting down on those uh, super late games uh, and you know, making sure that East Coast fans are able to see as much of the LeBron James and Steph Curry's of the world as they're able to, uh, it's really interesting philosophically from the NBA, uh, and I think it's a smart move. And now we can only hope that this is one step in the direction of uh, you know taking the top 16 teams uh, in the in the playoffs, regardless of conference. If we're going to start shifting towards the West, uh, maybe we'll see a more wholesale changes down the road, right? Well, Ben, how much do you think that is because all of these stars have gone? West. I mean, Kawhi Leonard went from the East to the West. That's the big one. But it seems like all of them are now gathering in the Western Conference. How much of that has to do with moving these times back? Oh, I think it's a big part of it. I also think, uh, uh, you know, not not just that, but also the TV ratings. Look, if it wasn't showing through in the ratings, they wouldn't be motivated to make a switch. I remember going back to last summer, people were wondering, well, what are all these people who've watched LeBron play for the last 15 years in the Eastern Conference at a certain time slot? I mean, you can kind of pencil in your routine, right? Uh, Wednesday, uh, you know, afternoon, Gabe, that's a LeBron Gabe. Thursday, that's TNT. Friday, that's ESPN. And it really shook up everybody's routine. And I think that they saw that kind of coming through, uh, you know, in the ratings. And that's why they're motivated to make the move. Personally, I like it. You guys have have spent maybe more time on the East Coast than I have. Uh, David, what do you think? I mean, like, does this make your life better? Are you happy that Adam Silver is kind of putting you on load management so you don't have to stay up until, uh, you know, 2 a.m. some nights to catch these late games? Absolutely. I mean, with a nine-month-old right now, well, actually, he'll be about a year old when the season starts uh, coming around. It's a lot easier for me to catch some of the star attractions uh, across the league. So I really do prefer this kind of load management, as you put it. I think it's a great opportunity to see some. I I know there were times where I wanted to see a nice matchup, maybe one involving the Warriors or even involving the Lakers before LeBron shut down. But at the same time, you, you don't really... Can make the, you can't make the time as much as you'd like to. Even for me, who does this professionally and likes to watch as much basketball as possible, I'd want, wind up watching the games the following day or something like that. It, it kind of takes you out of it. I think it's more about the interactive experience. You're tweeting about it. You're talking about it. You're seeing these highlights as they're happening. So I think it's a great move for the NBA. I'm glad that we're focusing on this and not just, oh, well, look look, look what's playing on Christmas. And look who the, you know, this is when uh, Paul George goes back to Oklahoma City, Russell Westbrook and all this stuff. And I know that that's a big part of the takeaways and that certain people are going to look at the schedule and, and, 
and do that. And look, I had to write about that for Forbes this afternoon, so I'm guilty of doing it. But for me, I do think that the schedule is it's a it's a good way to generate some content. There are some things that I look for when I'm looking at it, and mostly it's just what the first couple of weeks look like, especially from a national TV perspective. Perspective, what who who is the league showcasing? And I think in this in this instance, it was it was pretty obvious what was going to happen. But uh, between the LA teams, between Houston, Philadelphia, Boston, hey, West and so everything like that. But can I can I jump in real quick and tell you the guy who surprised me on the showcase angle? I mean, they are milking Zion Williamson for that's every... Right where, that's exactly where I was going. Yep. Everything he's worth. If there's a holiday, name it. Zion's on it. He's going to play opening yep. opening night, ring night. He's going to play Halloween. He's going to play the day before Thanksgiving. He's playing Christmas Day. He's playing MLK Junior Day. Uh, he's playing twice on ABC weekend games, one on a Saturday, one on a Sunday. That's like more national TV appearances than Anthony Davis had during his Pelicans career combined. And obviously I'm exaggerating, but it's amazing the treatment that they're giving Zion compared to a guy like AD. How, isn't that a little unfair? I mean, as far as those expectations are concerned, because I mean, a lot of us expect the Pelicans to be a fun and interesting team to watch, but maybe not particularly good, especially not right away. So you're going to see a a less than stellar product, especially on the, during those opening months of the season. Uh, I hear you on that. It's also interesting. Compare him to Luca, right? I mean, Luca was uh, in the same kind of position, super hyped. Everybody wanted to watch him. I mean, I knew I was making all of his games sort of appointment television last year. But I'll be honest, man, I can't get enough Zion. You know, put him on 82 times uh, a year on national TV. I'll watch every single one of them, especially after the last two times I've seen him in person. He got injured both games. I need more in my life. And I guess, uh, you know, the NBA has got really smart people looking at this, right? I mean, they're not just putting Zion and the Pelicans uh, in there, you know, just, you know, taking a shot. Oh, maybe it's going to pay off. They clearly saw the impact that he had at Duke, the kind of buzz um, and social media, you know, followings that he's been able to generate. And I think they're hoping to kind of, you know, hop on the Zion train. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't think it's exploitative. You know, I don't think it's a little bit, you know, overboard. Uh, it is absolutely a lot of expectations on him, but I think he's uh, he's built those himself, right? Like, hasn't he earned uh, this degree of buzz based on his play last year and everything he's done on and off the court the last couple of seasons? People have been watching YouTube clips of this guy since high school. People just want to watch Zion Williamson. People have- like, people have star quality, and Zion has a star quality. Anthony Davis, the most interesting thing about Anthony Davis is that he plays for the Lakers. That is the most interesting thing about him. Zion Williamson is a good interview. He is a, a phenomenal talent, and he's a lot of fun to watch. I mean, we were there in Vegas. People were, I mean, cramming that arena like it was a, <laughs> like it was the NBA Finals, and they got to watch, what, six or seven minutes of Zion Williamson, and then there was an earthquake, and all hell broke loose, but... I mean, it was the buzz was incredible, and it was very real. And that's people just want to watch Zion Williamson, so you put him on TV. That's exactly it. You're right. The the league is smart. They know how to 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 put their star players on a pedestal and brand them and empower them, and they're doing that. You, you know who I feel good for actually is guys like Alvin Gentry and Drew Holiday, who we would probably say are a little bit underrated or or overlooked at their positions, whether, you know, it's been a longtime successful coach and innovator in Gentry uh, or Drew Holiday, who's like kind of, I think he has one all-star uh, appearance from early in his career in Philly, but he's just been never really in the discussion that much recently. Um, high-level character guy, high-level guy on the court. 
those guys are now going to get the the benefit of of the Zion Williamson you know bubble like right they're going to be a log for the ride I think that's going to be very cool for them uh, but this team is also more than just Zion I mean there is so much going on with the Pelicans where uh, you look at some of their veteran moves whether it's Derek Favors JJ Redick you look at the young Lakers are they going to be able to make uh, the Lakers front office look bad sort of like D'Angelo Russell did by blowing up in, in their uh, new home uh, you know David Griffin's obviously set a very a clear direction for that franchise in terms of trying to make a family atmosphere and and to kind of keep some of the load off of Zion. So to me, there's a lot of reasons to put these guys on television. I can't wait to see them, and I think it's uh, I think it's just very kind of bold and and outside the box because uh, you know the NBA in general has been pretty slow to adopt some of these small market stars. I remember year after year wondering when are they going to you know showcase Giannis a little bit more where when are they going to put him uh you know front and center and they're finally starting to do it uh both last year and this year with, with really putting the bucks like on a Christmas day game or, or putting them on some of these other showcase games I think it's a healthy trend not only for the league but also just for the sport of basketball globally as well you know who's also great for New Orleans uh LeVar Ball great for oh. LeVar Ball let's take a break Ben's updates from Team USA training camp is next you're listening Locked On NBA. Fantasy football players, make sure you listen to Vinny Iyer in Locked On Fantasy Football. Vinny gives you the edge with over 20 years covering fantasy football. You're just recycling the same advice if you're listening to the same stuff as everybody else. Vinny is a rising star and you'll want to get in on this now before everybody else does. It's Locked On Fantasy Football and it's on the Locked On Podcast Network. Still recovering from surgery on his thumb, Kyle Lowry is withdrawing from consideration for Team USA in the World Cup. Ben, you've been covering the team's training camp in Las Vegas. Recently, it is now moving to Los Angeles. Uh, Who on that team or who in the training camp is standing out to you among the players expected to participate and eventually make the Team USA team? Well, you know, we got to see a, a blue-white scrimmage on Friday night in Las Vegas. And usually under Coach K, he would try to make the teams even, right? So it would be like a real public fan-friendly fan event. There'd be lots of dunks. It would almost be like an all-star game. Greg Popovich went a different direction. He didn't want to go East versus West. He wanted to go varsity versus junior varsity. So he stacked all of one team with all of the national team guys. And then the other team was all the understudies. And he basically had them out there playing hard-nosed defense for the entire scrimmage, passing the ball around, driving, kicking. I mean, I left the experience thinking, man, Greg Popovich has really put together the uh, the United Spurs of America. I mean, that's sort of what he's trying to do. He's trying to mimic some of that team-oriented philosophies he's had in San Antonio. So, you know, you kind of see Kemba Walker is almost in that Tony Parker role. You've got Donovan Mitchell in that sort of electric backcourt score, uh, Manu Ginobili role. Now, obviously, they don't have a Tim Duncan on this roster or a Kawhi Leonard, uh, but you do have players like Chris Middleton, uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, who are really succeeding in that three and D role, uh, you know, kind of supporting y- your main ball handlers. And so uh, we're starting to see the team uh, take shape a little bit. But there was also some roster additions and subtractions, too. They cut Thaddeus Young. They cut your guys' boy, uh, Bam Adebayo. Um, they were they promoted uh, Marvin Bagley, who really had a great week uh, in Las Vegas, but he wound up withdrawing to focus on the season. And then Lowry is also out as well. So the they're basically down to 15 players for 12 spots. A couple of the guys who might be on the bubble would include uh, Derek White from the San Antonio Spurs, who was really, really good last week. Uh, Joe Harris, the NBA's leading three-point shooter, who could be kind of a zone buster uh, if you used him. 
uh, in international play. Uh, you know, another guy um, on, on the bubble might be Marcus Smart. He had a calf injury last week, so he didn't get to play uh, very much. And then there's also, you know, a choice maybe at that four or five spot between guys like Kyle Kuzma, who's maybe a little bit more offensive oriented, uh, you know, kind of a bench scorer, uh, and then maybe the opportunity to bring an extra center uh, like Mason Plumley, who, who's probably another guy who's right there on the bubble as well. So Popovich has a couple of roster decisions uh, left to make, uh, but he really only has to cut three players at this point. So his life uh, isn't as difficult as it could have been uh, before some of these withdrawals. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Popovich and, and the impact he's having on this camp as opposed to you know what it was like under Krzyzewski. And I'm wondering, what do you see from Popovich as far as these players you know defecting or withdrawing from consideration? And I mean, obviously, he's not going to voice any kind of overt concerns or anything like that. But is he a little surprised at the number of players that have withdrawn from consideration? Does he seem upbeat and positive about USA's chances? Or does he not express anything at all as is his want? No, it's really interesting. I mean, Popovich is setting a whole different tone. I mean, right off the bat, they open camp in Las Vegas, and it's like a day or two after those mass shootings, right? And uh, both Popovich and Kerr were like pretty open and honest talking about politics and like, you know, taking some shots at, at congressmen and everything else. And I'm standing there listening to it and being like, well, same old pop. It doesn't matter if he's in San Antonio or coaching USA basketball, he's going to speak his mind. And, that, and something like that would have just been unthinkable uh, during the buttoned up Coach K era. So I think you have uh, one, you've got Popovich's personality is definitely leaving a big imprint. Now, in terms of you know his philosophies, I'm not sure he's super worried about the defections. I think that they knew it was coming because they changed the World Cup. It was supposed to be last year in 2018. They just changed the cycle of it to, so that it wouldn't conflict with the, the FIFA World Cup, the Soccer World Cup. Yeah. And they put it one year before the Olympics. And I think at that point, uh, you know, Popovich and Jerry Colangelo realized lots of guys would be choosing whether to play this summer or next summer and not do both in, in back-to-back years. And so what we're seeing is Popovich really adapt his philosophies, right? Rather than worrying about the stars who aren't there, he's trying to make the system the star, just like he does in San Antonio. And that's why you're seeing lots of, you know, three-point shooting. That's why you're seeing lots of drive and kick stuff. He doesn't want isolation play. He's telling these guys to keep the ball moving. And then defensively, uh, you know, he wants everybody, you know, playing on a string and really locked in. I'm telling you guys, it was a weird phenomenon to watch this public scrimmage where usually these guys are just throwing half half court alley oops and you know doing 360 dunks. I mean, even during the layup line, they were going through it in almost like military like fashion. I mean, very you know very few uh, you know you know jokes or. Or anything like that. It was just an all business approach from the players, and they got on the court uh, and they were Ding up hard for 40 minutes. It, it was really something to see. So I think that his messages are getting through, and he's going to try to win this uh, upcoming World Cup based on his depth of talent. He's going to be the only coach who has 12 NBA quality players on his roster. I think he wants to win with defense, and then I think he wants to win with unselfish offense. I mean, those are going to be his core principles, and it is a little bit different of an approach than they had when they had the luxury of LeBron James and Kevin Durant and Steph Curry uh, you know, carrying these guys to gold medals in the past. But if we remember that last FIBA World Cup, there were concerns even when it was star-studded there were concerns that this team didn't that that team didn't play like a team that they didn't have that teamwork that that defense on a string with the ball movement and things like that and there were a lot of there are a lot of good international squads out there and there were some concerns whether or not they could beat those teams who were playing better as a team and you know fast forward to this summer and there is an initial freakout over you know the stars not wanting to participate with uh, the the B level players the B level stars so to speak, of withdrawing and all of these things. 
And yet, Greg Popovich does what you're saying here. He he puts a real basketball team on the floor with a real basketball program. And it does sort of feel like, okay, under Coach K, it was sort of this one-and-done type of philosophy. And under Greg Popovich, it is an NBA organization. There is a uh, There are principles and plans and things in place. And... Like you said, it's it's still a bunch of NBA caliber players, good NBA players who are going to be playing in a system. It does sound like you're a little upbeat, that you're optimistic, even though that the initial, again, the initial reaction was a little bit of a freakout, well, um, at least from I mean, national media, but you're optimistic. Yeah, no, the freakout is warranted to a certain degree. I mean, you look and this will be the first major international tournament since before Dream Team won where the United States doesn't have the best player. I mean, guys like Giannis and Nikola Jokic are significantly better individual players than anyone that USA Basketball is going to have on its roster, right? So they're absolutely going to be tested uh, in this upcoming tournament, and there's really no question about it. I think if there's a concern from USA's coaching staff, it's going to be the uh, the fact that you, you can basically you know play whatever zone defense you want. You can pack the paint and camp in the key. And I think Popovich is concerned that other teams are going to try to negate uh, USA's athleticism by just force turning them into a jump shooting team basically and so he wants to make sure that he's got a lot of spread options on the court they actually use Chris Middleton as the starting power forward during the scrimmage which gives you an idea of what kind of you know smaller ball lineups they might be trying to play uh, and I do think that's a legit concern because look if the three-point shot goes dry for the United States and they're playing in a tight game they can absolutely get beat you know regardless of their depth there's no question about it um, you know one other thing that I'm concerned about with USA basketball, who's going to be the alpha late in games, right? Is it Kemba Walker? Is it Donovan Mitchell? I mean, those are the most likely candidates, but both those guys haven't had a ton of success, you know, especially in postseason moments where you can really point back and say, these guys have been absolute killers, right? There's not a lot of Damian Lillard highlights in their reels or, you know, Steph Curry moments or even just LeBron James, Dwayne Wade type reps where they've been in these, uh, you know, spots year after year after year. So, uh, there's going to need to be some learning on the fly from their, you know, their biggest names uh, in big moments during this tournament. I, you know, the last time they went to the World Cup in 2014, USA went, I think, nine and zero, and they won by an average of 33 points per game. That will not happen this time. There's going to be multiple times where they're really tested, uh, and we'll see if they survive. If I had to bet, I would still make them the gold medal favorite, you know, pretty clearly. Uh, but it will be close. So you bring up a good point about who the alpha player on this roster is, but I'm going to kind of flip it a little bit. Who's the unheralded player who has stood out or who do you think has the best opportunity of making an impact? I can't help but remember Kenneth Fareed being a, almost a star-level player a few years ago and earning a significant contract as a result of his involvement on Team USA. I think it was during the 2014 World Cup. Even on a team with Harden Curry and, and Kyrie Irving and others, he kind of made his own impact in his own way. Obviously, that didn't translate to his NBA career, but at the same time, is there a player on this roster that you think can stand out as one of the kind of role players there who can make a significant impact? Yeah, that might have been the highlight of his entire career, right? I mean, let's, you know, if we're we're being honest, that was a great moment for him, and he was really big, gave them lots of good minutes. I'll give you two names. First of all, I think one of the breakout guys is going to be De'Aaron Fox. Mm. He was just getting rave reviews in all of the uh, scrimmages. He's very difficult to guard, uh, especially when they keep the floor spread around him. He's just so good one-on-one getting past his guy. Uh, his handle is great. His shot was looking good. Uh, his He's got the charisma factor too, which I think is going to really translate on this kind of a stage. And I think he's going to have a nice tournament. The other unheralded guy that I would point to though would actually be PJ Tucker. Right. And he's the oldest guy in camp. 
obviously a defensive specialist, a winning plays, quote unquote, type of specialist, but they were using him as both a power forward and a center at various points. And I'm not sure if he's going to play tons of minutes, but I think he's going to give them a lot of quality minutes. And I think there's a lot of trust from both Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr in P.J. Tucker because they know they've, they've faced that guy in the playoffs before. They know what he's capable of doing. Uh, and just watching him in scrimmages, again, it's just like he's he's stepping in, uh, you know, blowing up screens. Uh, he's calling out defensive assignments. He's always in the right place. He's, you know, uh, very smoothly transitioning and switching on defense. I mean, he's just uh, a really, really intelligent player. And, and look, there's a lot of young guys on this team, right? I mean, guys like Kyle Kuzma, you know, Jason Tatum. I mean, that type of player is apt to make uh, mistakes on the defensive end, especially as they're learning Popovich's system. Uh, and somebody like P.J. Tucker can step in and, and really be a uh, – you know, uh, just sort of a, a leveling factor, you know, the type of guy who can keep everybody on the same page and, and cover up for mistakes and, and really keep your defense solid. Team USA will lean into P.J. Tucker's veteran experience with Kyle Lowry also withdrawing. That just puts more on De'Aaron Fox's plate, and he could take advantage of that. Let's take a break here. Coming up next, why the NCAA is backing off of its rule that agents need to have a college degree. You're listening to Locked on NBA. The new Locked On NFL show is on fire. Last week is one of the most listened to NFL shows, and with expert analysis from former NFL scout Matt Williamson and host Brian Peacock, Locked On NFL is your daily podcast on all things NFL. Subscribe to Locked On NFL wherever you get podcasts. The NCAA is rescinding what has infamously become known as the Rich Paul Rule. The NCAA recently issued new requirements for agents representing players who are deciding to either stay in school or enter the NBA draft, and part of those requirements included that agents must have a bachelor's degree. Many saw this as a rule aimed at Rich Paul, who doesn't have a degree but has some of the is one of the most powerful agents in the league now. Well, after a lot of criticism and an op-ed written by Rich Paul in The Athletic, the NCAA on Monday decided to change that part of the process, allowing agents without a degree to represent players. Ben, do you see this as a victory for Rich Paul? Uh, Yeah, I I think so. I mean, he was very eloquent in what he had to say about it. I think this is a very, very simple uh, situation to understand, though, Wes, and, and see if you guys agree with me. Sometimes you just have a bad idea and everybody calls you out on your bad idea and it's okay to just change your bad idea and make it a little bit better. Isn't that what happened? I mean, isn't it as simple as that? I mean, I understand they took a lot of criticism for... Um, you know, why they would put that in in the first place. But ultimately, they got it right. It shouldn't have taken as long as it did. But I guess, you know, uh, you know, begrudging kudos to them for just, you know, admitting they were wrong. Yeah, I think this was a bad idea. I don't know if it was necessarily even aimed at Rich Paul. I don't know if I want to give the NCAA that much credit. Like, I don't know that we do we even know that they were thinking about Rich Paul or they were just like, we're a college type of thing. Having a four-year degree seems to be on brand for us, so let's just throw that into the requirements. And then, you know, perception becomes reality, and people like LeBron James start tweeting about it. Rich Paul starts uh, uh, voicing his opinion on it, and it becomes reframed as this Rich Paul rule, and the NCAA was right. Like, you know what? This didn't turn out good. Our focus group was not the best focus group, and this was a bad idea. Let's, let's go ahead and back off of this. And it puts Rich Paul in an interesting situation who, let's face it, the guys trying to decide whether or not they want to play in the NBA or not or go back to school aren't necessarily Rich Paul's clients, right? He's going for the stars at this point. And, um, and, and there's a lot of different ways where Rich Paul and his agency can kind of skirt this rule, just having another agent, part of that agency with a degree, represent those players. But it turned into now a moment for Rich Paul and... 
and something that he was able to take advantage of and score a victory. Like, he got points on some scoreboard for this in a game that he wasn't really even playing in, which I think is the amazing part about all of this. Well, doesn't this yeah. kind of show that the NCAA is a little bit more out of touch than ever? I mean, that's been the criticism for years now, but, you know, I remember last year where they voiced or they, they aired commercials showing student athletes living this luxurious life that none of them have ever actually experienced. And, and you know, it, the, they kind of continue to make these moves where they show how out of touch they are with their audience and, and with the athletes that they're supposedly meant to represent. And I, I just think you, you go this publicly with this thing and, and it backfires so completely. And, and to me, it just kind of shows the disconnect is growing wider and wider. And I think they're just further alienating the athletes again. And, and not just the athletes, but of course now their agents as well. Yeah, I think there was two things going on. One, I think there is legitimate, you know, uh, concern or like anger among rival agents that like, okay, Rich Paul didn't have to do the same things that they did to get where he was. I'm not sure that that should dictate NCAA policy, right? I mean, that just seems like sour grapes. I think the other aspect is that the NCAA does have some legitimate concern that there's people who are unqualified to be agents, whether they're family members or friends or people who are just hangers on who are trying to become NBA agents looking to cash in on a prospect, right? And I think that that is a legitimate fear. The uh, the NCAA and the NBA, for that matter, uh, you know, want to protect their players from. Uh, This was just sort of a sloppy and ham-handed way to do it. It it absolutely put this kind of artificial barrier with the college degree that everybody, you know, very quickly rejected as being, uh, you know, a poor idea. And again, kudos to the NCAA for, you know, doing the about face and getting it right. Um, And hopefully this does lead to a a situation where, uh, you know, the players can get the best possible representation. But look, there's been questions about the kinds of agents who are representing players going back almost as long as there's been an NBA. So uh, this is not a problem that's kind of going anywhere. And I don't think that this rule, even if they had stuck with it, uh, would have changed very much. That's it for today. Remember, listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked on NBA on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please leave us a review. And thanks for listening.